So, if you've ever wanted a space with feminist thoughts and news from all across Africa, then this is the space for you. I get to talk to amazing black women from all over the world and speak on some of those core issues we don't quite get to unpack in most public spaces. Here, we speak on what it means to be a superwoman, learn about consent, finding pleasure within our own bodies, wink wink, get empowered with Donna so we get our finances right, all while discovering amazing African minds. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and like, and take this Afro-feminist journey with me. So today's guest I met a few years ago, and we were working on a project together. And ever since then, I've watched her grow and flourish and just build her brand in amazing ways that I never even imagined. And recently, one of the topics that were trending on Twitter I mean, one of her posts that we're training on Twitter is learning about consent and teaching your kids about consent without using the sex word. I highly recommend that you go read it. But for today, she's here giving us her tips and really teaching us about what consent means and how we can teach our kids about consent from a very young age. So today we're joined by Lolo all the way from Nigeria. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you. I'm really passionate about this particular one because I think consent is something that we don't necessarily talk about enough and we don't actually understand enough. So before we dive into that, can you please tell us a bit about your work and why you got started? Um, Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. Well, I am a sexuality educator and advocate. I focus on reproductive health and creating awareness about issues that um, borderline on sex, sexuality, and relationships. I started, well, I started like many years ago. I think I've always uh, always just been intrigued by human connection, honestly, and I've always been intrigued by our sexuality because I was highly sexualized as a child. So that was a very, um, it, was a, it was an area in my life that just piqued my interest. But as I grew and I finished my degree, when I got back into my country and I would go to schools, secondary schools, because I, I like to talk with young people, I would go to secondary schools and talk to them about relationships, right? What constitutes a healthy relationship, an unhealthy relationship, using my own experience as a teenager to teach them. And I realized that they don't even know the fundamentals. They don't, don't know the basics. Now we are talking like con- they don't know what constitutes consent. They don't know when they've been violated. They don't know that they have right to say no. They don't know anything. That's when it dawned on me that instead of just focusing on just healthy relationship, I need to go back. I need to actually talk to these people about what sex education is because they don't know what they don't know. That's the honest truth. And someone cannot say that I was in an unhealthy relationship if they don't know that that's an unhealthy relationship because it's what they see everywhere. So that's what really piqued my interest in sex ed. And I didn't just talk about consent. I began to broaden it. Like these guys, um, the students that I talked to, because I teach secondary school students and primary school students and young women as well. Not only do they not know about the, you know, the great areas like consent they don't know about what happens to their body they don't know what happens during puberty they don't know what happens when they are having sex they don't know and that is due to the of course due to the society that we live in in africa you know no one likes to talk about sex even if we're overpopulated no one wants to talk about it so i realized that there was a gap and i just started doing that so since then i've been just talking about this issue and i've been building it as well Okay, so speaking about consent, 
for people who don't know, since we've covered that they don't, how exactly would you define consent and what do you think is the most important baseline to start with? Um, I will just define consent as permission. That's that's literally what it is. So consent is telling um, uh, telling people that you have the right to decide if you want someone to touch you or do something for you. And if you don't want that, you also have the right to not consent. So the bottom line is respecting people's decisions and um, privacy. That's what consent is. Then we can break it down to what is sexual consent. Then sexual consent is when people decide either to have sex or not have sex or whether to engage in a sexual activity or not engage in a sexual activity. So that is actually the fundamentals. When I teach about consent, I like to take it all the way to the, to the basic and say, if I take your ruler without asking for permission, are you going to get upset? Of course, you're going to get upset. So that's actually what consent is. When it, when the risks are higher and the stakes are higher, then it's sexual consent. So that's how I explain consent to the layman. Then we build up on it. But it just means permission and rights. Yes. And at what age do you think it's time for us to actually start delving into this conversation? Um. Really, it depends. If we are talking about consent as as what it is fundamentally what it is the right for you to decide what you want and what you don't want i think it starts as young as two three years old because again we don't necessarily need to discuss sex if we're talking about consent and even if we want to bring up the issue of sexual consent when we're talking to children as little as two or three years old what we are discussing is, is in regards to their private part telling them nobody should touch you here if anybody should touch you here make sure to report to mommy so that's actually how we start we start from three four years old and the conversation continues to get complicated in quote as they get older so consent as as what it is is something i believe parents guidance we should start as early as possible because if a child understands what it fundamentally is that's respect for other people's um, privacy and decisions when we start discussing sexual consent it would just naturally feel like this is what they're meant to do as normal human beings who are respectful and empathetic towards others and for parents who are having these conversations for the first time, uh, how, what tips would you give them when reaching this conversation with their kids? Uh, where should they start from and what should they say to their children? Um, again, it depends on the conversation and it depends on the child and it depends on the age and also the culture and the context. You know, in African culture, when I start with, I tell people, um, when we start talking about consent, teach your kids how to say no. African parents love it when their kids are assertive, but they only like it when their kids are assertive towards their own peers. But the truth is we need our kids to learn how to say no, even to adults. So it depends on the culture. So there are certain things that as African parents, because I want to bring it back down to Africa, um, as African parents, there are ways you can start the um, conversation on consent. A simple one could be to ask permission from your child before you take what belongs to them. It's so little but it's going to take your child aback. Your child is going to be a little bit surprised. that mommy is asking me if I can give her something of mine. And if your child says no, just say thank you and say okay. You know, to show your child that it's actually okay for me to respect your decision. So we can start no matter how young they are and infuse it into daily activities. I don't encourage parents to make um, discussions around sexual consent or consent as this big issue where you call your child, you sit them down, 
your child's heart is skipping a bit because they feel they've done something wrong. What's mommy going to do to me now? I don't think that that's the best approach towards um, having these conversations because when you have them just once off, your child might be deceived to think it's just a, a, a conversation that you have once in your lifetime and you should just know it. They don't see it as something that is meant to be embedded in the way that they grow and live and interact with people. You know, so when we bring in another conversation, the first tip I would give to parents is find teachable moments. Don't build up the um, momentum to have one talk with them. You cannot cover everything in one talk. And if you do that, you even put yourself under pressure. So use teachable moments. It doesn't matter if it's when the child is eating and they are full, they don't want to eat anymore. Instead of forcing them to eat, you tell them, okay, make sure that you only take the food that you can finish. We don't want you to remain anything. But what African parents do is that they want you to continue to eat. We tell people, don't leave anything on the plate. I don't want to see anything on the plate. So your child is eating even if they don't want to eat. That's a way that has conditioned them not to be assertive, for them to not be able to say what they want and for them not to be able to reject things for fear that they're going to make you angry. And if we open that up, it's very easy for you to see why um, you can see young girls who take gifts from people who they know don't want, they don't want anything from, but they feel obliged to take the gift. If not, they are going to make the person feel bad. And that person assumes that you taking the gift from them or taking the meal um, means that you are willing to be with them or do something with them. So it's just a little hack but has ripple effect in future. So take teachable moments and embed this conversation in your day-to-day um, routine. When you're bathing your child, this is not sexual consent. When you're bathing your child, you can teach your child that um, nobody should touch you in your penis, nobody should touch you in your vagina. If anybody should do that, make sure to report to mommy. And as you're bathing the child, you give them the opportunity to wash their private parts on their own. That's also teaching them that mommy is saying nobody should touch me and she's also not touching me. Even if she's here watching me, she's ensuring that I know that this part of my body is private. So it's the little, little hacks that are embedded that let um, children understand what consent is. When that child goes to school now and they want to pee and their teacher is trying to help them pee, they're going to tell them, no, my mom said nobody should help me. I can do it on my own. So you understand that that's how, you know, those are the little ways that um, parents can use teachable daily daily, daily um, moments to teach on consent and sexual consent. Of course, it all depends on your age, like I say, but we're talking about children here. So I'm just really focusing on issues around kids. Okay, and as you're talking, as people grow older, what about those children who are now a bit older, let's say high school, even high school and going into college? This mm-hmm. is the time that a lot of the abuse is happening as children are now growing older what advice would you give to at least um, now create a conducive environment full content culture even as the children are already older and not young kids anymore okay um first as the kids grow older and these were looking at teenagers issues around consent are conversations again that should be embedded in teachable moments because I think one mistake that we make is that we think our consent is broken only when maybe the guy wants to touch you or the guy is having sex with you. That we don't realize how our consent is broken in normal day-to-day routines by our parents, by our friends, by the people that love us. But we just chuck it up as it's normal. Now, these are just my friends. These are my family. They're meant to. There's no problem. 
So we need to understand what it is first, that this can happen in family and this can happen outside. This can happen outside sexual consent and this can happen during sexual consent. Moving along with teenagers now, we can have conversation on what constitutes consent using case studies. In my class, when we tell them sexual consent means you have the right to decide if you don't want to or not, we be I begin to use case studies to elaborate because um, life is not black and white. You know, when we teach teenagers about consent, um, a man should not, you should be able to say no if the person does not um, dis um, respect your no, that person is breaking your consent and you can also report for harassment. We can teach young people about consent that if you're drunk, um, you should, you're unable to consent. And to them, they might understand what it is fundamentally, but in theory, it's a bit more difficult. Because what happens when it's like all of us are getting drunk, all of us are drinking together? Does that mean that if I now say no, people will say that, ah, but we're all drinking now. That means that you wanted it with me. Those are the gray areas that the case studies that we bring up or examples begin to tackle because that's the reality. It's never black and white. Rarely is it black and white. So with your young girls or with your young boys, when we're discussing the issues of consent, we have to tell them the definition, yes. We have to use examples like, you know, if you're drinking, if you're drunk, you can't give consent. A girl who cannot um, a, a, a tell the boys that girls can't give consent, talk to the young girls or talk to the young boys that even if you are going back, because the grooming process where girls feel like they are actually in control of what's happening, especially when they're being abused by older men. Even if, so these are great areas that we have to talk to them about. Even if you feel that you are in control, as long as you are under the age of 18, you cannot give consent to the older person. So you are ensuring that the girls and the men, the young boys understand what it is from the law and, and um, from the factual side of it. But you must go past that because young people, you were once a young person, we know knowledge is not always translated to behavior change. Speaking so of the grooming process that you were just talking about, I want yeah. you to delve in deeper into that because I know culturally, um, at least in Zimbabwe, there is a culture where older men like the uncles will call the younger girls my wife and mm -hmm certain things are expected out of it and I think culturally we create this environment that makes it possible for this grooming to happen and it's sort of normalized so no one ever sees it as something wrong or bad. How can we combat it in this cultural atmosphere that we live in? That's a great um, question because grooming is also in Nigeria, it's not just in Zim, also it's so prevalent because it's fueled by the idea that girls mature faster than boys. Exactly, so, young girl, exactly. yeah. so young girls have believed that as the reality. And because of the culture that we live in that um, encourages intergenerational relationships where the man is older and the woman is younger and we all find it to be cute. I can't wait to have a strong man. You know, there's an idea of the kind of man that a woman should be with. Predators who groom young girls feed into this narrative and use them to lure the young girls. First, they can start with um, looking for teenage girls who are going through that transition, who maybe are physically developing and still don't understand, you know, um, how their body reacts. They still don't understand how people view them. 
maybe they are also going through a tough time at home emotionally because this can be a time of friction between their parents. These older men take advantage of that uncertainty, of that discomfort and create a safe space for these girls. So that's how you don't know you're being groomed. You think you found an elder brother. You think you found a father figure who just really cares about you, who's so interested in your emotional well-being. But this person is grooming you. And when we use the word groom, some people don't really understand it. This person is taking care of you to the extent that they are molding your reality to suit their own desires. They are telling you things that you assume are good for you, but it's actually good for them. They can tell you now, as a young girl who's just growing, who's going through hormonal changes, they start touching your breasts. You don't understand what's going on, but it feels good because of course your body is responding to touch. And this is a man who has maybe given you money to go to school when you didn't have money. He's telling you, I know it feels good. Don't be afraid. This is how your body is meant to respond. There's nothing wrong with it. This is, this is what, uh, you know, uncles and sisters play in as a young girl, you don't know who to talk to. You don't have anybody to um, vocalize what's going on. That man has been your only safe space or has been the only person that has made you comfortable with your growing body. But now he's doing something extra that you're a bit uncomfortable, but you don't have anybody to talk to. And you feel you need to repay him for everything he's been doing for you. So do you see how the dynamic works? So when we're talking to young girls about the issue of grooming, the first thing is not to go there and preach to them. That's what we like to do. As the adults, we feel we're trying to rescue them from these predators. So we go there and we're preaching to them. You don't need to follow these men. These men are taking advantage of you. When we speak to young people in that tone and in that manner, it makes them feel that we're looking at them as, in quotes, as kids. Because teenage years is the year where young people are finding their independence. And they want to be seen as um, people with agency, people with independence. So when we're talking to them about grooming and we're talking to them about men who take advantage of their naivety, take advantage of their innocence, you need to phrase it in a way that makes them see that they are also independent individuals with agency who can say no, who can say yes, who understands how their own actions might have led to that. And in that way, they begin to not just see themselves as victims because we don't want to talk to them about the issue of grooming and frame them as victims that they think that their life has, you know, something terrible has happened to their life and they cannot get back from it. As opposed to teaching them these issues and letting them see how these people might take advantage of them and so they can come out of it stronger, they can come out of it being able to spot these predators and call them out on it. As opposed to going into a spiral shame, shame spiral, because that's what happens. When you're younger, you're already in this position where you feel that you have no power or this man is already taking advantage of you. Someone comes to school and instead of them creating a safe space to talk to you about it, they're preaching to you. You shouldn't do this. These men are taking advantage of you, blah, 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 blah. In that place that you are, is making it difficult for you to open up more because all you're filled with is shame, resent, anger. 
So I believe when we're talking about the issue of grooming, when we're going to young girls, we need to create a safe space for them to be able to open up about what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what maybe their friends are experiencing. And the only way we can do this is by talking to them as young adults, talking to them as friends and not preaching to them like our mothers and fathers or pastors. So yeah, it's a very, you know, interesting um, aspect of consent and it's very deep we can talk about it all day long but to talk to young people we need to use a different approach so they themselves can see it because if you're being manipulated you don't know you're being manipulated if someone tells you you're being manipulated you're going to fight against it because as humans that's the first thing we want to do so those are the little gray areas that i need um people who talk to young girls and young boys to be very wary of and on that note, uh, when it comes to abuse, statistically, a lot of abuse still goes unreported, and a lot of it is actually happening within the family um, environment. So what advice would you give like, for parents and caregivers to be able to create a conducive environment that encourages um, young people who are being abused to be able to speak out and not feel scared or shameful or even guilty when it comes to speaking out about what's happened to them um first will um the parents the teachers you have to live a life that the children can tell is a kind compassionate life i feel we on Humans tend to overestimate how empathetic we are, in quotes, or the kind of safe spaces that we feel we create in our home, in our schools, in our friendship group. Sometimes we overestimate it. But the truth is, young people are going to know who to speak to by the way you live. So trying to create a safe space could be, you need to be more compassionate, you need to be empathetic, you need to be able to listen to the girls and figure out out the things that they are not saying and pro but all of these things are human life traits that we should have already embodied when we're dealing with people to create a safe space because of we know that they are adults they are family members these are the people that take advantage of the kids when your child says i'm not comfortable around this uncle around this aunt you don't force them to go hug that uncle you listen you take them out maybe when the uncle has gone and ask them oh why are you not comfortable you let them know that their feelings are valid, their emotions are valid. When your child says they don't want to hug somebody, you don't force them to go hug. You know, there are certain family members that say, go and hug your uncle now, even if you're not comfortable. Sit on your uncle's laps. Those little things. When your child isn't comfortable within them, you have to respect it and say she's not comfortable. So that's one way you're creating a safe space, just by respecting, you know, what they want and what they don't want. Another by creating safe spaces. This is a very simple thing that we do that we, we feel we're protecting the girls, but it's actually the opposite. When an uncle is coming or a cousin is coming, you tell them, go and remove that shirt that you're wearing, wear something else. What you're doing is that you're also telling the child that even in their own home, they are not comfortable. Even in their own home, they have to place the needs of the other person coming into their own home over their own um, privacy, security, and comfort. 
So creating a safe space at home where kids can talk to you is all about the things that you embed in the daily activities at home. A child can be very close to their parents but still not feel that they are comfortable enough to share certain things because they don't they haven't seen their mom or they haven't seen their dad handle other issues. So one, you need to create a safe space at home by the daily things you embed. Two, you need to also have friends, guardians that your kids can talk to that are not you, but you are certain that these guys are safe spaces. Because sometimes, even with adults, it's much easier to talk to strangers or people we don't know than to talk to the people that we see every day. So creating a tight, strong unit that your children can talk to is a great way to create safe spaces for young girls, young boys to talk about the issues that they are going through. Sometimes these safe spaces might even be teachers in school. Our teachers see us every eight hours a day and we still don't feel safe with them. What can we do? We need to sensitize the teachers in school to understand that they too need to be safe spaces for kids to be able to talk to them about it. And because of the underreporting, we need to teach people about um, things to do when they have found out that maybe they've been raped or there's a sexual assault case. Some people just don't know what to do. Some people have been brought up in a society or in the community or in a family where they have covered up every rape case and every sexual assault case that they assume that that's how it's meant to be. We know that you're meant to go to the police, but they have never seen anyone who has gone to the police come back with positive results. They have never seen anyone who has gone to the police go to court and, you know, receive some form of justice. So people don't know what they don't know, like I said in the beginning. So it's a very multifaceted um, issue, but it all goes back to one sensitization, creating safe spaces at home by being a very compassionate person as an individual, because the society is made up of individuals. A woman that is going to slut shame a 14-year-old girl for wearing short skirt is also a mother. So we don't expect that mother to come back home and think she's going to be a safe space for her 13-year-old girl, her 13-year-old daughter who has been raped by her uncle. We can also sensitize the community, grassroots community members, because um, a lot of these sexual assault is happening in our grassroots communities. It's your girl Mandy, and you're listening to It's a Feminist Thing. And also, we can talk about the justice system, but that's a you know a conversation for another day. That the justice system needs to step up. We need to see more um, cases of rape being reported and being trialed, and justice being prevailed, so it can give other survivors and other victims the courage to also stand up for themselves. You can all follow me on my social media platforms. It's L-O-L-O underscore C-Y. That's Lolo underscore C-Y. On my social media platforms, you can find resource tools for parents, children, and young adults regarding sex and sexuality. I have posters as well that are very child-friendly and can be put in anywhere. Fam in the church, in the mosque, in the, in the home, in school, hospitals, marketplaces, and they are all for free. So go to my social media platform and get all the resource tools that you need. Thank you so, so, so much. I feel like I've learned a lot myself. And you can actually catch Lolo on her Instagram and her YouTube to learn so much more. I'll be putting descriptions. Um, And we're going to have her for another episode because I love her so much. And she just has a wealth (laughs) of information to give us. 
thank you again for listening and i hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please like subscribe share and tell a friend to tell a friend we're really looking for more women to interview from all around africa and all around the world especially if you're a woman of color we're all about amplifying so please please fill in the form below and we'll be in touch with you for one follow up episodes or for a feature on our blog this is a feminist thing